0: It's a privilege for my wife, Donna, and I to be with you today. We thank you for the invitation. And we've admired this church uh through the years. I remember when District Conference used to be held here and just seeing the building and being around some of the people that had occasion to be there. And then to be with you today in the first service and now, Uh thank you for your kindness, your friendliness, and, and may God's blessing continue to be on this church and on you as a group of people I'd like to speak to you today about faith, family, and future. And I want to draw an example from Joshua chapter 2 in the life of Rahab. The point of what I want to make today is that you and I live out our faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the issues we probably all recognize is that living out our faith is not a high priority for many believers. There often doesn't seem to be much of a difference between those who know Jesus Christ and those who don't. Uh, I see that uh, even uh, in the opportunity to be involved in uh, Chick-fil-A. And uh, it's kind of funny, people often ask me, because I, I work there, do you get all the chicken sandwiches you want? I said, yeah, I, I could eat all the food I want for free, and uh, but I'll, I usually bring my own lunch. So, of all things, it's great food, but uh, I'm trying to eat a little more low-carb. So, in any case, that's nothing to do with the sermon today. And, uh, But if you're curious about that, I'll tell you that. But the reality is that living on our faith is not a high priority for many believers today. Uh, you can see it uh, in the workplace. Uh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if our promptness and our work ethic and our diligence and and our desire to accomplish what needs to be accomplished was such that a supervisor or manager or an owner would say, Wow, I wish I had 10 more people like her or, or like him. But sometimes it's not the case, and we've even heard stories about uh, employers who say, I wouldn't hire a, a born-again Christian, and that's sad. I, I don't know if there's a disconnect between how they live their life on Sunday morning and how they live their life uh, throughout the week. That's unfortunate if there is. Uh reminds me of Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. He, you could find it anywhere on the Internet, quotes of Ray Kroc, that uh, he said, my priorities in life are God and family and McDonald's, and when I get to work, they're reversed. Now, uh, he was saying that in a, in a uh, kind of a bragging way, because uh, I guess he was emphasizing that that's how important McDonald's was to him. But the point of it is, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, workplace, uh, we... We do what we do, as to the Lord, sometimes uh, living out our faith is uh, doesn 't happen at home, which is unfortunate as well we We have an opportunity to model uh, before our children uh, before others around us uh, the husband wife relationship is a picture of Christ in his church, and uh, but sometimes people don 't live out their faith even at home and if be parent to child or children to parents, it goes both. Both ways, Uh, I I was reading on the folks on the family website uh, uh, a article by Hetty Britz, I believe is her last name, and uh, she was saying that she was really working hard with her kids, trying to train them uh, not to have tantrums at home. But she realized that she was a screamer at home; Uh, that was her discipline style. And so she took it to heart, living her life with the Lord Jesus. She said. I told my children, when mommy talks to you in a calm voice, listen. But if mommy's screaming, then you can say to me, excuse us, and walk away. Can you imagine that happening to some homes? There would be more screaming. (laughs) But, But she was really trying, in a sense, to live out her life with Christ even in home and with family. You could use other examples, fathers and mothers, kids and, you know, all kinds of relationships. But for some people, living out their faith is just not a high priority. I think of our students and, and it's tough. It's tough in school. The culture is fighting against uh, those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but we have an opportunity to speak about our faith. Uh, in Christ. And uh, we, there are ways that we can do that, that um, uh, we can live our life. And sometimes the very way we live our life says more than even the words that we say. And I know our students are up against all kinds of pressures, sex, sexual integrity and things like that. If you're facing that battle uh, and you want to know what God's will is, I'd encourage you just to look up 1 Thessalonians four three. First Thessalonians four three. High school, college, whatever age you are, anybody who's uh, uh, not in a marital relationship, you can look it up and see for yourself what what God wants for you. But but it's, it's often people are not living out their faith uh, in school or in other places. I remember when I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, I was a student in high school. Uh, a man named Jerry. Uh, I was just a few years older than I uh met him and and he asked me some questions. He said, Roy, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I didn't. And uh I said, No, no, I don't I don't know. And he says, uh if I could show you from the Bible how you could know, would you be interested? And uh I said, Yeah. Some of you recognize these questions and I I'm glad that you do. And then he said, uh Roy, if you stood before God and he would say, Why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And I gave him a flimsy answer. It was sort of, I hope my good outweighs my bad. Uh, I'd make a good Muslim with that kind of viewpoint because they're interested in works and so forth. They're good pagan, you know, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, That's what I thought. And I didn't understand the Bible. And I didn't understand the free gift of salvation paid for by Christ on the cross. But he shared with me from the Bible using the book of Romans and those familiar verses. And that night I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Changed my life, changed my life, and not only changed my life, it it had an impact on my siblings in uh, my family. Uh, within a few short weeks, um, my brother Rick and my brother Roger both came to know Christ as Savior, and that and that had an impact on our future. Uh, here, I've been in ministry uh, these many years, and uh, one of my brothers has been in ministry for many years, and. And you think uh, of a dysfunctional home, and yet two guys in ministry uh, out of that—that's oh, the grace of God. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But you know, along the way, I learned something. Uh, Jerry didn't share this with me, although he did share with a lot of people. It was interesting when he was—I uh, asked him one time. I said, Jerry, how how many people have you led to Christ? He said, Well, when I was a senior in high school, it was either eighty-five or eighty-seven. Wow. That's a lot of students, a lot of people. And uh, he said, I suppose about three or 4,000. And I thought, wow, if the percentage of the soils, you know, one in four, is the how many are real, real believers in Christ. I said, that's still a lot of people. And uh, they spent his life telling people about Jesus. Some of you have done that as well. And to God be the glory for one person who comes to know Jesus as Savior are here today, and you don't know Christ as Savior, can I encourage you to think about those questions that Jerry asked me, and, and, and simply say to you, there's a God in heaven who loves you, and He wants you to be in relationship with His Son, Jesus. And there's nothing you have to do to earn this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And God wants to give you the gift of eternal life if you will receive it From him, whoever would call on the name of the Lord can be saved. You can ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. That's not what the sermon's about today. But the sermon is geared for those of us who know Jesus Christ. along the way, I learned this, that at the moment of my salvation, I received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When he was on the cross, he got my sin. And according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, I received his righteousness at the moment of salvation. That's important, because to live righteously, God declares us righteous so we can live righteously. A lot of people think I have to live righteously to be righteous. No, we are righteous, therefore we live righteous lives. And that's what I want for you, but to live out that life uh, be before others. If there's one thing I, uh, I would want you to write down, if maybe you take notes, maybe you don't, but it's the statement, how we live out our faith matters. How we live it out matters. It's important. And it has an impact on you and your family and your future. Now, to demonstrate that, I want to talk about this woman named Rahab in the Scripture. And you can open your Bibles to... Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter. And from what we see in Joshua 2, there are some examples for us of the impact of living out our faith when it comes to our family and when it comes to our future. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2... I know we're talking about Joshua 2 in a moment. That's what I'm going to read. But in James 2, it says that Abraham believed God and uh, was counting him as righteousness and he was justified uh, by his works. And then it goes on to talk about Rahab. She was justified by hiding the spies and so forth. And she's listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith as one who believed and hid the spies in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Now, some people struggle with this concept of justification faith, works, and so forth. I, I think what Martin Luther said is very helpful in this regard. He said, we, it is by faith alone that we are saved. But the faith that saves is not alone. It's always accompanied by works. And Jesus said, by their faith you will know them, by the fruits, you will know them, excuse me, by their fruits, you will know them. But those are the fruits that come out of living our lives according to our understanding of who God is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what our relationship with him is, and living out uh, in our lives uh, the reality of our faith. So let's look at this chapter. I, I just want to make a, a read it and make a couple of comments. Um, the Bible tells us in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. I had the opportunity to be in the country of Jordan in May and last month. And uh, while we were there, I had the opportunity to baptize my son and friend in the Jordan River. That was, that was fun. Uh, it's very narrow now because very, uh, uh you know, irrigation and all that's taking most of the water out of the Jordan. But the children of Israel were getting ready to cross that Jordan River when it was big and wide. And when I stepped down into the water, the uh, the mud came up to, almost to my knees. And uh, I thought, wow. When they stepped into the water and it was dry ground, that's even a, a, another aspect of how amazing that miraculous crossing was. But anyway, children of Israel. Uh, on the east side of the Jordan, getting ready to come into the promised land. Joshua sends these spies out. I had the opportunity to stand at this place called Abel Shatim. Shatim has to do with the acacia trees that are surrounding it. And, um, so from that place where he sent them out, we're standing at the top of this tell, uh, this, uh, you know, the, ruins of the city that was there at the time envisioning all the tents uh, around uh the the tell uh, the city that was there and picturing perhaps they would have placed that ark of the covenant with the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night on the highest part of the city so they could all see it and we were like 10 or 15 feet uh, from that elevation it was beautiful Uh, To think about that. Anyway, he tells the spies, go and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who came to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the socks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up uh, to them on the roof and said to them, to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard That's an amazing statement for a pagan, isn't it? It's incredible. For I know, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, "Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you." You know, it would be great to give you a better picture of uh, this city of Jericho. I, w- I wish I could. Jericho is a beautiful place. I saw it a number of years ago. And it's right there at the top of the Dead Sea on the west side of the Jordan River. And it's in a strategic location, the main road that comes through. And it would guard the uh, ingress of uh, armies and people and so forth. But it was a pagan place it, known for its ritualistic uh, sacrifice of children, perhaps because of uh, uh, cult prostitution and things like that, uh, you know, the the babies being born to them and so forth. But what a a sad culture to to think about all that was happening there. And God had given uh, people like those in Jericho 430 years to repent. And and there were a lot of things to, to consider in this. But think of Jericho just for a moment, not necessarily in relation to what Israel was going to do, but think of it in relation to who this woman Rahab was. Uh, she's always called a prostitute through scripture. Uh, Josephus, the historian, says that she was an innkeeper, probably that as well. Uh, but she was a pagan. And, uh, well, you know, she would think like an unsafe person, act like an unsafe person, do unsafe things. By the way, I expect unsafe people to do unsafe things. I don't expect believers to do unsafe things. But guess what? Sometimes they do. And you've seen it, and I've seen it, and and that's why I say many times uh, even believers don't live out their faith. Um, And and that's what we want. Anyway, you look at this life of Rahab, uh, and uh, she didn't know very much. All she knew is what she'd heard. God had helped them through the Red Sea, taken care of them in the wilderness. They would overcome Og and uh, Sion, and others as well. There's a whole list of uh, 31 kings that were conquered uh, when when they got into the promised land and so forth. But she didn't know much. But she came to the conclusion that there was a God in heaven to be reckoned with. And that little bit of knowledge and understanding that she had was transforming to her. And what I want you to see today, as we look at this life of Rahab, is that she had faith. And when she exercised her faith, there was a change. And when there's a change, it affects our family. And when there's a change in our family, it affects our future. So that's why I've called this faith, family, future, and so forth. But She's an example of this uh, in the very words that she said. Uh, one commentator pointed out that this is one of the longest statements by a woman in Scripture. I don't know. I compared the number of words to this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, but it's interesting uh, we have this dialogue. And looking at the dialogue itself, she makes this statement of trust, of faith, of at least confidence in a God that she never knew before. And because of that, it changed the way she acted. Rather than turning in these men to the king of Jericho, uh, she hid them. Now, there's some deceit going on here, and I'm not going to get into all of that right now. I'm not justifying her deceit uh, by any means, but she didn't know very much, and we know a whole lot more. And uh uh, sometimes we we actually, uh, you know, we're educated beyond our obedience, if you think about it for a minute. We know a whole lot more than we actually put into practice uh, in our lives. But anyway, she all she knew was there's a God in heaven above, and it changed her. When I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, it changed me. I, I still have a ways to go, uh, even after uh, all these years. But it changed me. And it changed me more when I lived out the faith that I had. And it does the same for you. You see, when we exercise our faith we change. Now you could look at that word exercise and start thinking about, you know, pumping iron and all that kind of thing. Well, the girl's at Chick-fil-A, she's in her 20s. She told me the other day, guess how much I bench pressed? She's a really attractive girl and very capable. Guess how much I bench pressed? And I said, 250 pounds. She said, well, thanks for believing in me, but it was only 225 pounds. You know, (laughs) uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and, uh, In any case, uh, I'm not really looking at this like, all right, I want you to exercise and wrestle with your faith and, you know, uh, drop off the weight and those things that beset you and so forth. Uh, I, I simply want you to think of exercise as putting into practice. Put into practice your faith and you change. Now, the truth of the matter is there's a downside to this. If you don't put your faith into practice, you change. It's not a good change, and we, many of us, could talk about prodigals and, and those who have uh, perhaps left the faith and so forth, and something happened along the way, and uh, there's a reality to that. Maybe, as it says in First Second Peter chapter one, they've forgotten uh, that uh, what Jesus has done for them, but. In any case, I'm not criticizing them. I, I, I simply believe that when we put our faith into practice, we change. And when we don't put our faith into practice, we also change. But the consequences of these changes are different from each other. And I, I want you to put your faith into practice. I want you to act on what you believe. I want you to trust God, whether it's a church or at home or work or school or wherever it is. In all of your life, I want you to put faith into practice. And when you do you change. Now, when you change, it has an impact on your family. Uh, I think of the reality that within a couple of weeks after I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and talking to my siblings, uh, that uh, you know the change that happened for them. They came to know Christ, and and that that change in me, had an impact on my family. I I wish it was the best and perfect and all that, but I'm a work in progress. Sometimes when we don't put our faith into practice, we change and it affects our family as well. In this particular case, not only does she make this strong statement about God and her trust in Him, at least it appears to be trust in Him, but trusts so much that when she put it into action, she hid the spies. And that's what it says in Hebrews 11, that uh, by faith, uh, Rahab hid the spies. But it had an impact on her family. She goes on to talk to the spies and say to them, I want you to I want you to protect my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And they come to this agreement between themselves that uh, with the spice that, that they will, if she will hang, get them into her place and hang this scarlet cord, a uh, ro- red rope that she was going to drop them, uh, let them down out of the city. Her her place was on the wall of the city and, and she was going to let them down. And when the walls fell, this part didn't fall, but she, she, uh, Wanted to, She wanted her faith to have an impact on her family. Now, this is simply for protection of them. And sure enough, they were protected. Those The same spies, the soldiers came in, and they brought out Rahab and all those who were with her in her house. But can you see the picture, though, of how this faith that we put into practice has an impact on those around us as well? You see, when you exercise your faith... You change. And when you change, your family changes. And when your family changes, your future changes. For Rahab, we're reminded in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. I know it's one of those sections people usually skip over because they don't know how to pronounce all those names, by the way, for pronouncing Bible names. Just do your best, and with confidence, move on. It might be different than somebody else, how they say it. Uh, But, you know, just, you're trying to communicate. It's not trying to be word perfect or anything like that. But you look at Matthew chapter 1, verses uh, 4, 5, and 6, and so forth, and in there it says, And Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz... Begot Obed by Ruth. There she is, in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some perhaps soldier, uh, at least a person, uh, and the people of God saw her uh, and married her, and they had a son. And when we look at Scripture, the son they had was a very godly son. Uh, the scripture tells us at the beginning of the book of Ruth that that during the time when the judges rule, and if you know anything about the book of Judges and so forth, it was a wild time, a crazy time, an awful time. And yet during that time, there was a godly man named Boaz. I wonder, how did, how did he become so godly in such a godless time? Maybe it was the influence over his father. Perhaps it was the influence of his mother. Probably both. And the influence perhaps of people around them, but he lived his life, Boaz lived his life for God. her faith not only affected her immediate family in safety from Jericho, but it affected her future and her offspring and uh, what a great what a great man Boaz was, and Obed and Jesse and King David, as we're reminded at the end of the book of Ruth. You see, living out your faith matters and it has an impact on you and on your family and on your future. I was asking a couple of people this um, last several weeks, uh, what does living out faith mean to you? One person said it means obedience. That's a pretty good answer. You know, uh, You know, if you love me, Jesus said, obey me. And we have every reason to love him because he's forgiven us our sin. He's been he who's been forgiven much, loves much. And uh, uh, and I think of that woman who anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus. And that's what Jesus said about her and uh, obedience. That's that's a good word. And it, it's not about the things that we don't understand. Let's just obey the things that we do understand. Mark Twain, who was not really a believer in God at all, but he said, I have more problem with the things in the Bible that I do understand than the things that I don't understand. And yet you and I as believers in Christ often are not putting into practice the things that we know we ought to do. And you say, well, how do I know what to do. Oh, well, read and find out and listen and understand and Obedience is a great word. I asked somebody else, and they said, well, it means to love God and to love people. That's a great word, too. And loving God and loving people. I think it all boils down to this for me. It might be different for you. But I don't believe that God's asking anything of us that he's not willing to do himself. And if you will simply think about How much He's forgiven you? How many sins, when He forgave all your sins, did He forgive? A lot. And for me, even more. Uh, This is the nature of how we lived our lives when we didn't care about God. And maybe it's the nature of how we've lived our lives since we've come to know the Lord as well. But He forgave all our sin. Can't I be a little more forgiving toward others? I, I know forgiveness is one of those words that's hard to understand because you, you forgive someone, it doesn't mean they're, you know, buddy, buddy, and things are just great again and we'll forget all things in the past. No, no, if they've violated trust and if they've done wrong, they need to be responsible for their actions. But, but you, as and I, when we think of our own hearts, forgiveness is something we do. Reconciliation is something that doesn't come about until that person deals with themselves. And uh, it may be a case where you can forgive someone and they don't change, and, and uh, that's very possible. But you're you're working from your own heart. There's a lot to be said about forgiveness. That's for another message. But I think of how much God's forgiven me, and I want to forgive. I th- I think about how much God loves me. Oh, we don't understand the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of the love of God. In fact, it says in the very next verse of Ephesians chapter 3, which is beyond understanding. Even if you knew the length and breadth and depth and height, it'd still be part of You wouldn't understand about the love of God. It's incredible. And because he loves us, we love him. And because we love him, we want to do what pleases him. And that's why we live our lives the way we do. Our motivation is out of love for Jesus, not out of somebody forcing some idea on us or telling us what to do. We live our lives for Jesus because he loves us and we love him. And the end result is that, that there's a change that occurs. There's an experiential holiness that becomes a part of our lives. And, and it's beautiful to see. Anyway, I think of all the way he's loved me, and I want to love others. I I think of the grace that he's shown me. Undeserved favor. I, I, I don't deserve it, but he did that for me. He saved my soul, forgave my sin. And those who have been shown grace should show grace. Those who have been forgiven should forgive. Uh, those who have received the mercy of God should show mercy. There's a lot of things we could say about this. But as you begin to think about what God's saying to your own heart through your understanding of Scripture and so forth, just start there. Put it into practice in your life. It will change you. And it will have an impact on your family and an impact on your future. Not everybody will receive that kind of forgiveness or grace or love from you. Uh, There will be some who reject you and turn away from you. Uh, You can't help that. They they don't get it yet. They don't understand how much God loves them. But... That's okay. I mean, Maybe they write you off. I've heard of families where they have a funeral for the new believer, and it's not because they're dead. It's just a, there's a funeral without a body. Uh, they're just saying they're not a part of our life. And that's unfortunate. Uh, they, they don't get it, but you and I get it. And when we get it, we want to live it. And it is God who works in us to will and to do according to His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. And so Put it into practice. We've been saved by the grace of God. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's our way of saying, God, I love you, and I thank you for what you've done for me. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. And we get to do it because we want to, not because we have to. So, let's... Live our lives for Jesus. Let's live out our faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am grateful to you for the salvation that's mine, that's ours, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to be different because you have changed us and are changing us. I pray, Father, that... uh, my friends who are here, the people that I'm meeting today will, will do the same and that uh, they'll trust you to help them to do what they can't do by themselves, but you'll help them to live out their faith in such a way that Jesus is evident in their lives and help people to see the change and how it impacts their family and their future. In the name of Jesus. Amen.